Hey, greetings, folks, and welcome to this episode of the Communication Guru Podcast, where we believe it's not what you say, but how you say it that matters. I'm your host, Tim McMurtry, president and CEO of Tim McMurtry International, a business consultancy specializing in personal development and training, government relations, along with corporate and community affairs. I'm delighted to have you join us today, and I thank you for your listenership and viewership of this show. Our aim on this platform, as you know, is to discuss nuances and insights relative to the communication continuum to help you become an optimal communicator, be it your personal life, your business life, at play, or what have you, in all your various spheres of influence. We're here to help you to become a top-notch communicator. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast, The Communication Guru Podcast, The Communication Guru Podcast, one more time, The Communication Guru Podcast, so you can be notified and aware when new episodes are available for public consumption. Now, challenges in life show up as formidable obstacles and are realities of existence from which no one is immune to facing at some point in time. Often people get the misconception that if they ascend to a certain level of success in life, that all of these said challenges will be eliminated. If I can just get to this level, I won't have any more problems. But that is fiction and not fact. Now, no matter where you go, where you ascend to on the hierarchical social strata or ladder, you will be facing some challenges. And there is a best way to deal with that is just part and parcel of the human condition. On today's episode, we're going to dive into some key components and fundamentals associated with facing and overcoming situational challenges, be it in your personal and or professional life. To help us navigate these sometimes choppy and often uncomfortable waters is a very special guest, a veritable rock star in multiple people-centric arenas. He serves as an executive level human resources business partner, a coach, an advisor serving small to mid-sized to large organizations, possessing 25 plus years of experience as an accomplished human capital practitioner with global expertise spanning across organizational development, HRIS, continuous improvement, best practices, talent management and development, high performance cultures and more. He is also a husband, a father, a humble, accessible, big baller, (laughs) all facts, no cap, and is an active gym dropper out here on these social media streets. He is none other than the one and the only John Haynes III. Welcome to the show, my friend. I'm glad you could join us today. I can't love you enough. Thank you for making me more than God made me. I'm telling you. Thank you, sir. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you so much. Hey, my pleasure, man. My pleasure. It was all facts. Like I said, no cap, all facts, man. You out here doing some things. You're leading others to bigger and better things. And you're impressive in your acumen and personal disposition and how you do it. Most folks that ascend up to the levels that you go, I say many folks. I don't know most because 8 billion people in the world. I 
I don't know most of them. But many people, once they get to certain levels, they tend to handle people in a different kind of a way, particularly if you might not be on that level or even higher than them. You haven't been that at all. Your humility, man, just belies just the level of success and access that you have, man. And so for that, I, on behalf of everybody that comes in contact with you, thank you for being such a down-to-earth guy who can rock and roll and help others get to their desired end. With that said, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in HR and the people business? Yeah, thank you. It's it's a story, and I thank God for it. Born in Norfolk, Virginia, grew up in Gaithersburg, Maryland from age seven on, so I'm an East Coast dude through and through. When I graduated from high school, went to Hampton University and majored in electrical engineering for four complete years until I discovered, bro, you're not going to be an engineer. You should stop doing this. You're going to die here. You should go do something else, whether it is landscaping or making sandwiches or something, do something else. And I was just having a hard time plotting through electrical engineering. And after the fourth year, no degree, sick going to class, having failed so many times. And I mean failed that letter like, Haynes, you got to go home and never had to go home. Just a blessing. I had people just praying for me, looking out for me. After that fourth year, I said, let's make a switch. And I transferred to Old Dominion University and I started majoring in psychology with an emphasis on industrial organizational And I walked into the city hall of Norfolk, Virginia one day, and I was paying my car taxes and I had on shorts, flip-flops, a t-shirt. And after I paid my car taxes, I was not interview ready. I believe it was divine intervention that said, go ask for an internship in HR. And I found my way to HR. Somebody pointed me to the office. I walked in there and 30 years ago, I spoke with Mary Williams and I said, can I have an internship? She hired me on the spot. And it, man, my life changed in that instant. I say this about human resources and what I think my gifting is. I went back to being who I was as a kid. And I was always that kid to always solve people's problems, listen to their issues, people much older than I, and issues that span anything from suicide to having trouble with parents to find out what do I want to do in life? And I always had some good advice. And so I went back to being that kid. I wanted to be the kid or the professional that actually provided corporate advice, business advice to business leaders when they had people issues. And HR was the closest translation. And so Tim, I say, I don't know how this light circuit is wired in this room, but I do know how this complex being is wired in my screen. And I know where he goes at home. I know where he goes in his community. I know where he goes at work. I know what his gifting is. I know what he looks like complete. And being that all these things converge, I'm able to give direction to that most complex being. And I translate that into business leaders every day and corporate leaders every day. And so that was the journey to HR. And I've been doing it 
for the last, you know, almost 30 years. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's that, that that's so powerful. That's so when we met years ago. One of the things that I think drew us as kind of kindred spirits was that I also went to Hampton and was an electrical engineering major. And although I didn't stick around for the four years, I came back here to Milwaukee, graduated from UW Milwaukee and switched my major as well to communications. Another kind of people centric type of, you know, in, endeavor and sector, man. But you said a couple of key things there that really kind of jumped out at me. Number one, you had this premonition or an unction to just go to the HR. You know, you weren't necessarily dressed, quote unquote, professional by, you know, typical standards. But there was something there that you distinctly heard and felt compelled to do. So one, you heard it. Number two, you had enough guts to follow through on it. How important then is it for people to come in tune with the functions that they have internally first, that internal communication, how important is it to pay attention to that, follow it? And then number two, what is the relationship between things we had a proclivity for as a child and how does that play into our ultimate purpose and should be career choices in life? Yeah, I can start by saying do what you love, do what you love. And I firmly believe if you do what you love, you can make as much money as you want to. And it was just so crazy that that voice, I just have so much proof that the voice that comes to me happens to be right. And it's, and I'm hoping that it's not coming across as an arrogant thing, but I just have so much proof in my past that the information that I've listened to, the information that I've given has been the right thing that I trust it. And I trust God. And there was a time that that I questioned it. And there's a I have now learned to categorize it in a few different fashions. There was a point where I was like, why me? Like, why am I hearing these things? Why do I have this information? Is the information right? You know, is it going to help somebody? Am I going to say the wrong thing? And after it happened time and time again, and I started to get this proof behind me, I was like, no, why not? Why not me? Why not me? Maybe, just maybe I have something. And then in the most recent years, I have just learned to say and trusted and have all out faith and say, it is me. It is me. So so I know, Tim, I know when I meet people, I know when I'm sent to people, I know when I talk to strangers, there's something for me to give to them and there's something for me to get. And I always think about it. I just do this motion, this oval motion when I think about the gifting or I think about what I'm tasked to do here on the earth and in corporations. Like if I feed the people, I get fed at the mm-hmm. same time. It's just, I just, it's just an oval, like cyclical motion. Yeah. And I just continue to do that every day. And I've just found a profession that, that helps with that. Mm-hmm. That helps me translate that into the world and into big business leaders. And in terms of listening to that voice again, there's also something that that I do think God gave me. It's just running the God experiment because you're going to get so many unctions. You're going to get so many dreams and so many visions. And some of those visions are a good idea. Some of those visions are a God idea. But you only know by trying what you think the unction is and running that God experiment. And then you learn to sharpen your ear to the voice that's inside of you or the voice that comes to you. And then you learn to say, all right, I'm supposed to go right. 
or I tried this. No, okay, you meant go left, go left. And so running that God experiment is what I do every day because I get so much download, but everything is not a God idea. Some stuff is just a good idea. And I'll say this last thing just in terms of what we do as spirits having a human experience. There's this pastor in Virginia Beach, Pastor Cedric Rousen, and he taught on the burden versus the bucket list. And there are things, there are visions, there are unctions, as we say. I love that word that you hear and that you get. And some stuff you go try and say, all right, I tried that. I don't want to do that again. That could be writing a book. That could be bungee jumping. You know, that could be traveling to Barcelona. And I don't want to do that again. But then when you talk about the burden, that is the thing that wakes you up at five o'clock in the morning. That is the thing that wakes you up at 2.30 in the morning. That is the thing that you cannot help but do. And I've just found that for myself and I help other people do that as well. When I find that thing, you just can just it's just like this conversation with you. It's just like us impacting and influencing one another. We cannot help but do it. It just bleeds out. And that is the thing that is the work that we're supposed to do while we're here on earth. And those things translate into business. They translate into your family. They become not my truth, but the truth that I will do anywhere, all the time, and for anything. (laughs) Oh, man, you said a a mouthful right there. And that, man, I got some questions that I wanted to ask you. (laughs) You done karate chopped my questions with just the depth of what you just shared. But that is very important, man, because I think if you took 10 people and asked them, hey, what is your ultimate purpose in life? Maybe eight or nine of that 10 probably couldn't tell one. And maybe that's because they haven't gotten in tune with that burden piece, haven't been able to distinguish between the different options that are here, the wants or the bucket list, as the pastor was talking about, versus that thing that you were created to be doing. Now, over the course of your 30 years, man, obviously you've had success. You've been at it, you know, for a while. The inauspicious start that was the leading, sounds like, of the Holy Spirit that got you into the mix. I'm sure over the course of that time, you've come across a variety of different scenarios and different folks. That said, in your experiences, have you noticed any substantial differences in how people, different genders, races and positions, be it the VP or the president or, you know, a manager or a a, a lay person, how they confront and address personal and interpersonal challenges? Is there a common thread or do different folks, different types of folks tend to address and mitigate things in different ways? Man, unfortunately, the common thread is to be fearful of having courageous conversation Mm. and to be fearful of confrontation. Mm. And those things I've just learned to not be afraid of. I'm not afraid to use my voice. I'm not afraid of the backlash or the persecution that I might get. But most people are afraid to look at that, especially when it comes to internal internal battles that they may have. Like they they just go about their everyday routine without wanting to heal. Thus that's that 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 word is so huge. Without direction on how to heal, without a courage or a leaping of healing. And it takes me vocalizing my problems and facing my problems in order to heal. At least in order to start the process. 
in order to start the reconciliation with someone, it must be a reconciling of what has happened, whether it happened when I was six or whether it happened when I was 16 or 26, you know, or 56. It takes a facing of what has happened in order to really start to solve that conflict. And daily, 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 much of my job is trying to get people to have a real conversation. And if I can get them to have a real conversation, Tim, and it's not just informing, it is a communication, it is an exchange, it is me paying attention to you, it's paying attention to me and putting out there what we feel and what we see and what we hear and what we know so that we can get to hopefully a common place and then move on from there. When we can't have a real conversation, we can't have a real healing, we can't see what's real, we can't understand what's real, and we continue to live in this false world and put ourselves in false situations and unhealed situations and reckless situations. And that's just not the way that I want, that I need for people to be in life. And so I'm hoping that addresses the question a little bit. No, it does. I just want to unpack it just even a little bit more. It sounds like the healing piece is critical. It's a bedrock to one being able to move forward in life and maximize their existence. The realness of the conversation, it sounds like a person needs to first be real with their own self, with what they have went through and how they need to get over it. Now, in the corporate space, it seems as if I'm just using corporate because you have vast experience there. And most times when we talk about success, it usually is attributed to what a person does, how much they make and what positions they have in life. And a lot of those titles come from a corporate space. Now, correlative to that, when a person ascends a certain ladder, they're viewed as a certain kind of a way. And unless you have some real, real grounded intestinal fortitude, some of that can go to one's head. If you are the VP, you're in the C-suite, you're an executive leader, you're viewed as that. So now you begin to carry yourself as, hey, I'm upper echelon, I'm infallible, and people view me as, you know, the king of the mountain or queen of the mountain. Now, when you're talking about healing and a person being vulnerable and being real with the fact that, hey, you got some stuff about you that might be raggedy that needs to be addressed. That's not something people lead with or wear on their sleeve. They tend to conceal that. Now, if it's harmful for them and it's a roadblock from even them moving forward, despite their outward success, how do you get people, man, to be comfortable enough to share that at risk of having at least one person, you know, you and no, you don't do this, but even in their mind, at least one person, this guy I'm sharing this stuff with, he's going to view me as not as perfect, as not as successful. I run the risk of that and I still need to share this. How do you get them to get past that, to let them know it's a safe place and that they can do it and you're not going to use it against them and all that kind of stuff so that they can move forward? How do you get people to to show that kind of vulnerability, man, to be able to heal. I give as much vulnerability as I want to see. And I'm also a keen listener. And when people actually see you listening to them, they somehow they're, I don't know, Tim, this is the first time I've ever described it like this. Somehow their spirit walks into a safe place when they actually see someone is listening. It is, it's not an ear thing. It's a sight thing. Like I can see this person actually 
hears me. And I've become unafraid now of when I see the hurt, I point to it and I speak about it. And so many people, like I can hear when people are not speaking business, they're actually speaking from their pain. And when I hear that, like I, I vocalize it and I say, we can talk about this thing or let me pull you to the side and let's have a one-on-one and let me tell you what I heard. Now, where did that come from? Or did I identify that correctly? Let's talk about that because the thing I want you to do, and I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to a business leader. The thing I want you to do is as great as you are, it feels like you're so far away from what you're really supposed to be doing. So when we identify that problem and we will promote that pain in you, that that reason why you think people are a success because they're rugged, they're so-called resilient, or they drive, drive, drive. Like, I want the real you to show up so that thing can be successful, so that you can be unafraid of presenting your authentic and your transparent self in the workplace. And you start to take opportunities that align with who you really are instead of promotions that feed the beast in you. And I mean beast in a negative way. So this is me simply listening to you and being willing to be as vulnerable as I want you to be with me. Mm, mm. <laughs> my goodness gracious. So in the workplace, I've heard this, the saying is people don't quit positions, they quit people. And because every workplace, no matter you're working for a professional sports franchise, a Fortune 500 company, small business, whatever, you tend to interact with some people and there are some dynamics. There are some dynamics to said relationships, manager, direct report, supervisor, boss, whatever. And in those interactions, there can be resentment, perceptions of favoritism, mistreatment. You know, I should be up for a promotion. I've done this, that and the other. So and so got promoted. I didn't. There's the favorite people are paying favors in, in those kinds of environments. Man, do you as the HR executive, are you like out just in search of with a sensitive kind of reticular activator that's sensitive to different conversations or is it more people come to you knowing that, hey, the bona fide guy to go to if I'm having an issue is that John guy, whether it's those you are coaching, those in the executive HR space or otherwise. How do you get to be able to engage the people or some combination thereof? It's both. It's actually both. My, my antenna is tuned to organizational development, organizational health, leadership health leadership development, leadership capability. Like my job is to optimize a leader, that person in the screen, that most complex being or that executive, because when that happens, then they go on to manage the millions or billions of dollars of resources in the right way that they steward or they are able to lead the people in the right way. And so, yeah, I'm tuned in when I come to the room. And because I've done this for so long and I've had so many of these courageous conversations or just real conversations with people, now I start to get referrals. And that could be from an executive at work saying to another executive or a peer, go talk to John. I think he can help you with that issue, whether it's work or life, or it could be a stranger that we exchange information and they say, oh, I've got a nephew that I want you to talk to, or it could be a family member. Oh gosh, 
I have a situation where if I could just tell the story just for a minute. Oh, go ahead. Where my cousin was going through a very difficult time and we hadn't spoken in a while. And this is post my mother and my big mama taking their promotion and going to heaven. And long story short, she had two dreams about me. And this is going to cross the line, certainly into divinity and me being a man of faith for sure, as you are. In her dreams, in her unctions, my mother spoke to her and said, what you're going through, why don't you talk to Trey, which is what my family calls me. John the third. Right. In another dream, my grandmother said, have you talked to Trey yet? And so (laughs) that type of thing happens every day at work. That type of thing happens every day in life. And so it is both. I'm referred and my, my antenna is there. And there are sometimes where I don't say anything in the room. It is a, it's a nonverbal thing that says, okay, I heard you. I got you. And I'm going to push past the ordinary in the room in order to get to where we need to go as a business, where we need to travel to as leaders, what we need to develop into, what we need to evolve into. And I can't, again, full circle, I cannot help but do it. It is my assignment. Yeah, yeah. Wow, man. Wow. I mean, when you touch upon the faith piece, there has been you know a lot of conversation just over the years. Seems like it's maybe thawing out a little bit now, this so-called separation of church and state. Whereas how it's presented is, well, hey, you know, you can't bring all that faith stuff into the public square, the workplace, when in fact the Constitution says that the government cannot establish a religion, semicolon, nor can it suppress the free expression thereof. And when Thomas Jefferson talked about the church and the state piece, it wasn't to protect society from the things of faith and the church. It was the opposite. It was to protect the church from the overreach of government, trying to suppress it and influence it and dictate to it what it can and cannot be. That said, for people, particularly coming out of the pandemic and its you know, multi-level disruption that it caused, including the loss of life for some, it put people in a different kind of a space. It seems to me that people were a bit more attuned, sensitive to higher power, a greater ultimate infinite intelligence, whatever they want to describe God. And they needed some sort of anchor because a lot of the reports were doomsday and Armageddon seemed like it was yes. coming. That said, what role can faith or that inner divinity play in not only the direction of a person as they navigate, you know, corporate spaces, but also in the success thereof, not just surviving, but thriving in that space, being able to pull from that, you know, higher level, that fourth dimension, if you will, into the success of their current three-dimensional existence. Bring that part of you to the forefront and do not separate church and state. I can tell you that from my manager to my manager's manager to the people in my organization, everybody knows I'm a man of faith. Everybody knows that I'm a man of faith. I don't bleed that out on people, but you know when we're having a conversation, you're getting my 30 years of HR experience, you're getting my coaching, you're getting my advising, you're also getting my faith. And 
There are times where I can talk about God and I don't have to say God, but I know God is in the room and they know something else is in the room and mm-hmm. they're very sure of it and they're willing to go with it. And so for me, there is no separation of church and state. And when I'm coaching leaders, when I'm advising leaders, whether it's at work or on nights and weekends, my assignment also is to help you be one person, is to not separate those things so that you don't have to be eight different people in one body. You don't have to translate and transform to something false in in every environment that you go. And that is a process. It's not easy. It takes courage. It takes faith to actually let your faith breathe naturally inside of you everywhere you go. Wow. Wow. Takes faith to let your faith breathe naturally inside you everywhere you go. That's a whole bar right there. It's real. (laughs) Keeping on this. Yes, yes, indeed, man. This is so rich. Relative to the whole pandemic piece and managers, you have some that, you know, wanted to do an immediate bring everybody back to the office type, you know, philosophy. Others said, no, you can go ahead and work from home. We understand you need your space. And this is from smaller to even larger companies like, you know, Harley Davidson comes to mind where their CEO was saying, well, no, we're going to rethink how we do this relationship between folks coming to the office and our headquarters and all this kind of stuff. And others are insisting you got to come back. Others have a hybrid approach. How would you advise those who are leading others, executives, C-suites, managers, supervisors in their teams to help encourage and or compel their team members to provide optimal performance and productivity in their work environment? The number one statement, Tim, that I would say is, and we lack this capability as leaders for the most part and as good managers, we have to learn to manage outcomes over activity. And the reason why, part of the reason why companies are trying to get, for a number of reasons, trying to get people back to work. One is for the camaraderie. Two, you're never going to replace people. No matter what type of business or industry that you're in, you're never going to replace people. And people need people. People feel like if they if we don't come together, it's going to feel more like solitary confinement in some instances. And that's just not healthy for us. So, so one of the things, and I'll come back to this, one of the things that my Cardinal Health focuses on the company that I work for now is, you know, come together for moments that matter, come together for moments that matter and do not force ourselves back to the way that we used to be. We, we should evolve. People have different lives now. And so with people having different lives and finding that they can work, they can put a load of clothes in the dryer, they can take their kids to school or get their kids off the bus, they can have a lunch date with their mate. You know, life has changed and we can still be productive and get work done. But we are evolving as as industry to being able to manage full circle outcomes over activity. Just because someone's in front of me doesn't mean that they're working. So that's a capability that we need to foster, that we need to have. And this is a perfect kind of connection to diversity and inclusion too. 
People have different lives. People are different. We're not in the business of making robots. But, and this is why the leader has to evolve because your job as a leader is to be able to assess and integrate different forms of talent to gain productivity, to make a product, to serve a customer, to serve a mission and a vision. That's difficult. That's complex. But it does start with being willing to evolve and being willing to change. And COVID changed all of that. We have to become different. Wow. Wow. That said, you also mentioned the diversity piece and an effective manager leader needs to be able to, you know, manage, integrate different personalities, different life experiences of the people that they are managing to get this piece together. I like to call it the thermostat and the thermometer. Thermometer being you have to measure the temperature of the folks that are working for and with you to see if there's anything that needs to be addressed, either some coworker beef or what have you, and you go ahead and make sure that the environment is conducive to maximum productivity. The thermostat in that you set the temperature on the vibe, if it's an open relationship, are people feeling comfortable enough to come to you when challenges arise or they kind of keep it you know, to themselves because you might chew their head off and things like that. So from that sense, the manager, the leader has to be both thermometer and thermostat. On that diversity piece, you have uh, some folks and some organizations that are really embracing it, really being intentional about bringing forth innovative, you know, solutions, given both the historical, you know, challenges as well as the contemporary things, this post-COVID world that we live in. At the same time, you have some that appear to be bringing a lot of challenges and pushback to the whole diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging movement. You know, local governments are proposing and advancing legislation to curtail so-called woke diversity slash equity promoting policies. And even the U.S. Supreme Court is having a, a case before them dealing with affirmative action in education, and there will be, you know, some ruling on that. I'm suspecting over the next several months, several weeks, or several months. That being the case, what to you, based on your experience and you being in different circles, dealing with all kinds of people, race, colors, creeds, genders, etc., what does that kind of spell to you? What is your gauge on the temperature? of, you know, race relations, diversity, equity, inclusion, affirmative action, those sorts of things. Is it just a kind of a bump in the road, some turbulence? Whereas I think it was Dr. King said that the arch, you know, towards, I guess, morality, it bends toward moral justice or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Or is that a bygone era now and folks are fatigued with it and darn it, we're going to give that up and we're not even going to try to achieve equity from a social and socioeconomic perspective anymore. What's your take on what we're seeing now? How does that affect our future? Racism still exists. Inequities still exist. People have become more savvy at locking people out of rooms and putting ceilings on people's heads and not developing people because of the way that they live their life or the color of their skin. Those things still exist. And I think there was a notion out there, put a pin and full stop on that. I think the way that DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, it's taught, is brought to an environment has to be different. It is a choice. It is a choice, clearly. 
we've seen, and this is this can be controversial, we've seen super success without diversity. So what we have is a belief problem that we have to address every day. And you address the belief problem, the belief that there are inequities, there are rooms in which diverse talent isn't welcomed. There, there are arenas and environments in which you know we don't feel like we belong. In order to try to transform that and create different environments, we have to give people different experiences. And we have to do the, what I call the three R's that I've been evangelizing for years. One is relationships, build relationships with the people who don't look and feel like you. The other is risk. Take the risk to have a conversation and experience someone who doesn't feel and think like you. It is a risk because people will go to who they know, like, and trust. And oftentimes those people look the same. They are the same. They think the same. Take the chance, take the risk to get outside of your comfort circles and build relationships with people who don't look and feel like you, who actually experience these inequities every day. The last thing is reward and recognition. You can count that as four R's, but I put reward and recognition on one line. Reward and recognize the behavior that you want to see in your environments, whether it's at church or in the workplace or in your community circles or even in your families. When you see people welcoming talent that is different, reward and recognize that because that's the actual environment that you want to set. And I will um, just speak about an amazing life changing situation that happened to me in March just a few months ago with my current workplace, we took a trip to to Alabama and went to the Peace and Justice Memorial and another museum. And the other part of this is education. I just learned so much more about me and about the time in which there, there was so much divisiveness. I learned so much about the enslaved and that process and how it was the economy. And I literally on that trip, the first few minutes in the music, I cried for 45 minutes just because the pull was so heavy and my life changed in that I felt a deeper calling to help, to help bring people together. And so I say all that to say, along with the three R's, education and giving people experiences and exposure are key to making sure that we can create environments that are diverse, that are inclusive, that do facilitate belonging, that do create equity and do create promotions for people and open up the door for people that have typically been locked behind doors and kept under ceilings. Mm, mm. That's a mic drop on that. A wrap up with these last couple of questions, man. This has really, really been a pleasure indeed. What would you say is a a fun fact about John that most people don't know? I think they would know if they see me day to day. Like I love sneakers, like and sneakerhead. Um, oh, oh gosh, I got a problem, and I'm okay. And I'm okay with it. <laughs> so I, I love sneakers. I love shoes, and so. You can catch me in a, you know, in a different pair almost daily. And so I do feed that beast. It Again, it is a problem 
That's my fun fact. <laughs> Word up. How can people get in contact with you, man? Those that if they, you know, kind of heard and you sparked some stuff in them, you know, from this, this interview and they wanted to go deeper with you, what is the best way to get in contact with you? So certainly LinkedIn, John Haynes III. I'm going to be so courageous to, if you're really daring and want to have a conversation, want to be coached, whether it's you as a leader or your business, reach me on 240-463-8853. Again, 240-463-8853. Email is john underscore Haynes, H-A-Y-N-E-S, I-I-I at yahoo.com. And my social media handles are John Haynes III as well. Excellent, excellent. Last question for you, my friend. What, as a leader, one that impacts the lives of others and have had just real kind of seminal moments like that at the Peace and Justice Memorial in Alabama that you just mentioned, what would you want your legacy to be? Hmm. I want it to be that I used my gifting and all that I have acquired to make better leaders, to create a better world. That's what I would want to do. Well, folks, there you have it from the legendary John Haynes III. Thanks so much, man, for joining us today. This has really, really been a powerful, insightful interview and show. And I'm going to you know, go back and extract some additional nuggets. I was taking some notes as you were talking, Just hit on so many different things that could have gone in so many different directions, but I wanted to spare your time as well as that of the listeners. So listeners, I hope you had a great time with this. Thanks so much for your listening and viewership on today. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru podcast. Also, be on the lookout for Morning Tempspiration, the Morning Tempspiration vlog, I should say, which is designed to be wind behind your sails via words of encouragement and timely things that you can take and grow from. And finally, if you have a communication issue that you may need some assistance with, be it personal, organizational, business or otherwise, and would like a 15 to 30 minute consultation or discovery call, feel free to reach out to to me via LinkedIn at Tim McMurtry or Instagram at Mr. Tim Spiration. So thanks again for your viewership and your listenership. That which you've heard today, be sure to apply it so that you can live your best life. And as always, blessing and increase to you. Bam.